Well, hey, everyone, welcome back to another episode of the How to Raise Capital 101 show for real estate investors. And today, we're doing something a little bit different because my special guest, Craig Van Dolder, has a very interesting background backstory. He is, I'll steal a little bit of his thunder, but bottom line is he started out as a real estate investor, like most of us, buying single family homes. And he got five, six, seven properties under his belt. And a consistent source of frustration for Craig was going into a bank, applying for a mortgage, getting turned down, taking the exact same paperwork across the street to a different bank, applying, getting accepted, and not really understanding what the heck was going on. So it perplexed him so much, he eventually found himself a mortgage broker, and then he also became a mortgage broker in addition to a real estate entrepreneur. So that's what I love about his path. He's not a mortgage broker telling us what to do just from that perspective. He's a real estate investor who's become a mortgage broker and really specializes with what I call the mom and pop real estate investors who are buying single family homes as rental properties. There are millions of real estate investors out there and most are stuck with just a couple of properties. They want financial freedom, but their small portfolio ends up costing them more in time, effort, and money than it's worth. Getting out of the rat race seems harder than ever. This show will help you do more deals, better deals, and bigger deals. Finally, you'll be able to reach your income and lifestyle goals. How? By attracting and leveraging private money partners and their capital. Now get ready to raise more money, because here's your host, Dave Dubow. So, Craig, welcome to the show. Great to have you here. Thanks very much for having me, Dave. It's good to be here. Yeah, man. So, hey, you're in beautiful Kelowna, British Columbia. I'm up here in beautiful Kamloops, British Columbia. And um, you're. I think you originally got started doing this stuff in Ontario, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. yeah so, so maybe just, just quickly walk us through your real estate journey. And I, I kind of let the cat out of the bag there, but, you know, kind of tell us your version of your story instead of Dave's version of your story. Yeah, sounds good. So, yeah, as you said, started as a real estate investor and that started all the way back in 09 was the first mm -hmm. property we got. And was that, that in Ontario? Was, yeah, that was in Guelph, Ontario, actually. Yeah, so that was a townhouse that I ended up purchasing while I was at school. And yeah, essentially, I lived there all throughout my university time lived in basically a closet and rented out all the bedrooms to my friends. So that was my first a house. Hack. Yeah. Before, the, first before even the, the term was coined. Yeah. Oh, it was, um, yeah, we actually split the master bedroom and I literally had the head of my bed was in the closet. So it was, it was anyway, I lived there for free and all my buddies paid my rents and that was the first property. So owned that for, yeah, that was five years while I was at school Met my wife right around that, you know, four or five years in Mark. And that's when we kind of joined forces and started buying more properties. So I had built some equity in that property. By the time that one renewed, uh, I was also working full time. So I was able to qualify for a small refinance and take some equity out when it did renew. And then I had a down payment for the next one. So my wife and I then bought a property together. That was a, another one in Guelph, Ontario which is a, a bungalow with a walkout basement yep. and a suite in there. So we lived in there for, let's say, three, three, about three years with a tenant in the basement. 
offsetting our mortgage costs. Nice. And then we happened. Yeah. So then my wife wanted to go fully self-employed. And I said, well, before you do that, because I had known at this point in time that if you're self-employed and you're trying to get a mortgage, it's a uphill battle. So I said, before you do that, we're going to leverage your nice government salaried income and we're going to buy two more properties. Uh-huh. So we did. Um, then we bought another one in London. And then we bought another one in Guelph, which we moved into, rented both units in this duplex with the up and down suite and moved into a new property in Guelph. So then we were up to four and then she quit her job. So then, yeah, then it was a then, couple Then you of hit years. the wall. Exactly. And then you yeah. you basically can't get financed for anything until you've got two years under your belt. So yeah. another couple of years goes by. Then we bought another property in Old Sound. COVID hit. We both went remote with our work. We had visited Kelowna once before and thought like, that's probably one of the nicest places we've seen in the country. So when we both were able to work remotely, we figured, well, hey, Kelowna's got internet. So we moved here. So we did. <laughs> we sold our house in Guelph the one that we were living in, just the one, um, bought a new owner-occupied primary residence out here. And yeah, just kind of started. I didn't really come out here with the idea of buying more rental properties, but when I got here and saw the prices versus the rents, I thought, well, these numbers work. So since being out here, we've acquired um, three more rental properties. Nice. Single family homes? Which were, pardon me? Single family homes as well? Um townhouse and a couple of smaller condos actually so and all of those were purchased pre-construction timing worked out well because they were kind of early parts of covid before the pricing went to the moon so so that's kind of a bit of the backstory um and then and then the mortgage mortgage side of things how did you how did you decide to jump into that field to get into mortgages well that was yeah like you said earlier it was a real head scratcher for me to try and navigate my own financing because as I've learned, every single bank looks at a policy or looks at uh, an application differently, especially when they're more complicated with multiple streams of rental income. It's a night and day difference from one bank to another. So it wasn't really until I got linked up with a good mortgage broker in Ontario that I really started to learn that. And, and then I had people within my circle that knew that I was actively investing in real estate and buying multiple properties. So there was a lot of, hey, Craig, how do you do this? Who do you talk to? I said, oh, we'll go talk to Ben. He's my broker. Yeah. And I got to the point where like, why am I referring all these people to Ben? <laughs> what, I've, what I've now pretty much learned everything Ben knows. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So then I got licensed in Ontario. Um, I'm now also licensed out here in BC. So hold both licenses. But yeah, just because it was something that I did a lot of coaching with people. And I figured, well, I can, I can do this myself. And, you know, fun fact, actually about being a mortgage broker is I can write all my own mortgages and get paid to do so. So it's. Well, there you go. So you get, it's yeah. like a realtor. You could double dip. Yep, exactly. So, nice. and then yeah. between myself and my siblings, I think we've got 19 properties now. So even just, I figure I'm like, well, I don't even have to get any clients. I'm going to have at least three or four deals a year, just based off of my own family. <laughs> yeah. So works, uh, it's worked out well. So no, that's good. from there, I've kind of just, yeah, more specialized on the more complex investor portfolios with multiple rental properties. Yeah. Because those are the the more challenging ones to do. Where well, let's really let's talk about. Let's jump into that now, Craig. Then, yeah. So, what based on your own personal experience and the fact that now you've been a, a mortgage broker for for a while, what are some of the tips that you have for other what I call mom and pop real estate investors who are in the single family home space, qualifying under their own personal income type challenges that that you've had. 
So first, first big hint I clued into there, which I don't want this to seem too self-serving for you, but it's, it's true. It's, it's finding a really good mortgage broker who can help you out. But what I found over the years, Craig, is there's a big difference between a traditional mortgage broker who's just really focused on helping Joe homeowner buy their next house versus a mortgage broker who can work with real estate investors buying multiple properties. So maybe kind of talk to us a little bit about that first, and then let's take a look at what can we do to best set ourselves up for success working even working with a mortgage broker, whether that's you or somebody else, to have the highest chance of success with getting approved. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, working with a, an investor-focused broker is, is definitely important because that's a whole different, like you said, different side of things versus working with, you know, Mr. and Mrs. First-time home buyer. Those are extremely straightforward files for the most part, and you can do them, you know, less than an hour in some cases. Or they're very, very straightforward. Once you get into the more complex things, that's where you need to know the rules and the policies from one bank to another. So as far as really setting yourself up, it's something that I, I think the earlier you talk to somebody in the space with investment experience and the financing side, the better, because it's one of those things where something you do now could unknowingly shoot four or five years down the road when you're looking to buy that third, fourth, fifth property. But like, like what, what are some examples of some of the ways you've seen people screw themselves up? Um, a big one is locking into accelerated mortgage payments because when you're dealing with multiple properties on a rental side of things, cash flow is king, which you know you've heard that before as an investor. But when you're qualifying for more mortgages, you need cash flow, you need your rental properties to perform as strong as they can on paper. So I've seen situations where people say, well, you know what? The mortgage balance on this property is strong or not very large, sorry, the rents are very strong. I can pay this mortgage off in 15 years or in 20 or in 10 years rather than the 25 or even 30 that you can go. And by doing that, they've committed themselves to a larger than necessary payment. So say their payments $2,000 a month and they're getting $2,500 a month in rent. If they had started that mortgage at a 30 year, they could have maybe had a payment that was only $1,000 a month. And now they have $1,500 in cash flow versus five. So the reason for that is any existing rental properties that you have, when you're going to a friendly or a bank that's friendly towards rentals, they're going to put that property on a worksheet. And that worksheet is going to say, what's your gross rents? What are your expenses? Tally it all up. And at the bottom, it's going to spit out either a surplus or a shortfall. Hmm. You want a surplus if you can, because they'll take then take that surplus and they'll add it to your day job income, which is going to help you qualify for more money. If that property runs a deficit or a shortfall, they're going to take that deficit, and that's a debt that you now have to debt service in your new application, which is going to remove borrowing power. Mm, yeah, that so, makes sense. Yeah. So, so what? So, are they, just out of personal curiosity, so if the guy or the gal that does want to accelerate their mortgage pay down for that property that doesn't have a very big balance, how can they how can they accomplish the same goal without shooting themselves in the foot? Yeah, no, that's an excellent question. So, like I said, if you sign up for, say, a 15-year AM, you are obligated to make those payments and you yeah, kind of have true. to. Yeah. You're locked in. Whereas if you start with a 30-year, you're going to lock in the lowest possible payment that you're obligated to make. And then you also have the flexibility of prepayment privileges because every lender offers that. You can increase your payment by 20%. Sometimes you can even double your payments and you can make lump sum payments every single year. So you can massively accelerate your pay down if you want to. 
But if you don't want to and you want maximum cash flow, you've locked yourself into the lowest required payment. So, so then what you show on the spreadsheet is that lowest possible payment, which increases your cash flow. Exactly. What you do with the cash flow, you're going to put that down as lump sum payments or extra payments or whatever. You don't need to show the bank that, yep. right? Because that's that's not part of your obligation. Exactly. Yep. Right. So, yeah. So so that's that's one of the biggest things is is minimizing other debt obligations on an application when you're dealing with multiple mortgages, multiple properties. That's huge. So cool. another one is how banks will look at outstanding debts. So if you have unsecured debt, a bank will have to debt service that payment obligation. Generally, it's at a 3% of balance. So I just did one the other day where some clients had money held on credit cards, which isn't an ideal situation. But say it's $10,000, 3% of that is $300. I have to now debt service $300 every month, and that could eliminate $50,000 worth of mortgage approval. Mm. Now, these clients also had a home equity line of credit on another rental property that was at prime plus 50 points. And I said to them, I'm like, well, you transfer this over, this $10,000, move it onto your HELOC. Not only are you going to save interest, but now I can actually service that debt payment at the benchmark rate of 525 amortized over 25 years. So for that example, my payment obligation that I now have to debt service goes from $300 a month to 60. Wow. So stuff like that. Any yeah. outstanding so same, same idea I've seen. I mean, I remember back in the day when I was in the rent own business and helping our tenant buyers get qualified for purchasing the house from us uh, at the end of a couple of years. Yeah. There were so many, <laughs> so many things people could do to screw themselves up. Uh, buying a brand new pick up truck. Yeah. Was top on the list there. I tell you what. <laughs> I've seen that before too. Yeah. So same idea though, right? Like if you, if you have a, a vehicle, uh, you know, obligation, it might make more sense, especially talking with a professional to bundle that up with a HELOC versus the, the, the traditional exactly. thing in order to lower that. Yep. Yeah. Price. Cause you may have, you know, I just had a client that had a truck lease. Uh, it was $952 a month, which is a lot. Like yeah. that's, that eliminates probably $150,000 of mortgage approval. And he had a, a large empty HELOC sitting on his home and the lease buy it was only like $15,000 on a pretty high end pickup truck. I said, wow. look, you yeah. buy this lease out, spend the 15 grand, throw it on your line of credit. Then the payment obligation dropped from over 900 a month to $90 a month. So that just frees up a massive amount of space. Yeah. When that takes off 90% of your monthly obligation in one fell yeah. swoop. Exactly. So stuff like that. And there's, there's even companies out there that'll actually, if it's a newer vehicle, they can refinance your loan stretch amortization and drop your payment obligation down. That would be a good option for somebody that may not have the HELOC, a HELOC in place, but they may be a first time home buyer and had to buy the Mercedes last year. And now they're looking to buy a house and they've got a thousand dollar a month car payment. A lot of times you can knock that down with some of these companies that provide those services. So that, that can make or break a deal as well, but. Very cool. Yeah. Any, anything else that just got up? Cause I'm sure you've seen it all now. So what yep. anything another, else that just pops out at you that we screw ourselves another up? real big one that this impacted me personally was how different institutions recognize and treat outstanding or any existing credit lines you have in the form of HELOCs because a lot of investors will use a home equity line of credit and set them up and it's it's easy easily accessible capital right 
But in some cases, depending on which bank you go to, it can completely blow your chances of getting a new mortgage because yeah. there is some banks out there that if you had, say you've got your primary residence and you've got a half a million dollar line of credit on there that's sitting empty and there's not a dime on it. If you take that to some banks, they're going to look at that and say, well, Dave, you've got access to half a million dollars here. Yeah. We have to debt service that in our new application as if you had it maxed out at half a million bucks. So yeah, because you could develop that crack cocaine habit overnight and <laughs> <laughs> or feel the urge to buy yourself a Lamborghini or whatever the case is. Um, they have to, some banks will take that even though there's zero dollars on it and they will debt service it as if it were maxed. So that will eliminate half a million dollars worth of new mortgage almost. Um, now you take that to another bank and this is where it happened to me where I got declined one place and walked across the street and got approved elsewhere. It was a HELOC. I had one, I wasn't using it. Walk into the next bank, they say, oh, great, Dave, you've got $500,000 line of credit. I can see you have $0 on it. So we're going to debt service $0. Here's a new half million. So, difference, huh? yeah. And that's, we're talking like that's not, you know, just, these are A lenders too. These like, are these A space lenders. Yeah, your big Canadian banks. Some do the, the limit and some do the balance. And for an investor portfolio, that is a game changer. Night and day. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Well, this, this is fascinating, Craig. So the other thing I wanted to, ask your opinion about and again this is just an opinion and i'll i'll do the cover your butt thing here so craig's a, a more a real estate investor and a mortgage guy he's not an accountant he's not a lawyer so this is just an opinion but what is your opinion craig about you know mom and pop real estate investors buying these single family homes especially in canada um, in their names versus in a corporation what's what's your take on all of that at what Good point question at what point, if any, does it make more sense to start doing it in a corporation? It's a very good question. Um, I do get that a lot. And a lot of people think, oh, I'm buying one rental property. I need to have it in a corporation. But it, in a lot of cases, it doesn't make sense. And more, in my opinion, like I said, I'm not an accountant. I feel it comes, it more comes down to how you are employed. So if you're somebody that earns a salary and you're employee somewhere, the benefits of incorporating really aren't there in my opinion, unless you have maybe an absolutely massive portfolio, but. So, uh, so at what point, like what, what would it constitute massive under that circumstance for you? Well, let's just say business in, or rental income, passive income in a corporation is taxed about as high as it can possibly be somewhere in around that 50% range, unless you have a business operation that is large enough involved in real estate and rentals to employ five full-time employees, then wow. you can get it taxed as business income and not passive income. So your taxation drops from, you know, 50 some odd percent to I think somewhere in the 12 or 13% yeah. range. Yeah. My portfolio is nowhere big enough to employ five <laughs> to people. Work five people. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's, that's, you know, you're probably talking hundreds of units or hundreds of doors anyways, by that point. Okay. But for, for the mom and pop, it's, yeah, you're like, and I again, said, and this is be... in Canada because we exactly, got yes. different situations because we got a lot of American folks that, yes, that yeah, listen to watch this. this. So, is... again, up here in Canada, um, there, there's not as much of a litigation challenge, plus, there's not as much of a cover your butt by being incorporated benefit as there is in the state. So, exactly, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, going back to what I was saying, you know, how you earn your income, if you're 
like I said, rental income in a corporation is taxed as passive income, close to 50%. Rental income claimed personally is taxed at your nominal rate. So unless you're already in the highest tax bracket, any additional rental income you're going to claim is likely going to get taxed at less than 50%. Like I said, unless you're in that, you know, 200K a year in earnings tax bracket, that's, that's when the tax kicks in. Now, another thing you need to be aware of, I've had people even ask me if they should move their primary residence into a corporation. Now that is a terrible idea because you forego the primary residence exemption. You mm -hmm. cannot then sell that property and walk away with tax-free appreciation. It would get taxed as a capital gain if it's held in the corp. And then I've had other people want to move existing rentals they own personally into a corporation, but that triggers land transfer tax again, depending on the province, and it can trigger a capital gain to be paid. That can somehow be deferred. There's some section, there's a section rollover that can be done. That would be something you'd have to talk to an accountant about, but you are going to trigger capital gains or not capital gains, land transfer tax in Ontario and BC, yeah. if you did something like that. So, and then back to the income piece, you know, somebody that's a doctor or, you know, real estate agent, somebody that can be incorporated, that's where the benefit comes in because then you can start to, the income that you're earning can be earned in the corporation and taxed less. So you can grow that pool of funds for your down payment getting taxed at corporate tax rates rather than personal tax rates, that's the big benefit is then you can, you know, that down payment account can well, grow. Sorry, walk, walk, walk us through that again. Just, just so. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, like say you're a real estate agent or, you know, a mortgage broker can be incorporated. Well, what about well. a self-employed person? Like you're, yeah, you're yeah. a mortgage broker, you're self-employed. Yeah. 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 So self-employed incorporated, you know, your, your small business income tax rates, I believe are in the round, depending on the province, 12 to 13% up to, I think it's about half a million dollars a year in Ontario versus if you earned a half million dollars a year personally, it's a lot more than 12 or 13%. It's in the yeah. low fifties, right? Yeah. So those retained earnings, because you may only pay yourself as a self-employed individual, 50 grand a year, 80 grand a year out of that company and pay the tax rates on that, which is going to be much lower. So your retained earnings can grow quickly in that corporation due to lower tax rates. You can then use those retained earnings to invest in real estate and use that, you know, say $200,000 that's sitting in there for your down payment and buy yourself an investment property. Which would have to be kept within the corporate. The corporation would be buying the, the investment. Yeah, property. yeah. At that point in time, then it, it makes a lot more sense. Um, and there is banks out there that will allow you to register residential property in a corporation. And there's also banks out there that this is a cool one. A lot of people that are self-employed run into the issue where, well, I don't qualify because I only pay myself 50 grand a year. Right. Right. So yeah. you can only qualify for 200 grand worth of mortgage and that doesn't get you very far. Mm. But there is banks out there that have specialized programs for those folks because they realize that it doesn't make sense to personally pay myself and get smoked at personal income tax rates when I don't need that money out of the corporation. So there's programs out there that will look at that person's business and they'll look at the business financial statements and they will allow them to leverage retained earnings and net income after taxes, add that to their, or their personally claimed income to substantially increase the qualifying income that we can use in a mortgage application without having to pay the taxes. So it's a win-win because you don't pay the personal income tax on it. And now you can qualify for far more mortgage by leveraging those net income after taxes or those retained earnings you know, depending on what bank you're going to, but that's a big one because it, it never makes sense for someone who's self-employed 
to say, oh, I need to pay myself 200 grand a year so I can qualify for, for mortgage because the taxation just, just, it, it just never well, I makes guess it, it depends on how you take it out. Right. But I mean, yeah, exactly. The salary or, or dividends. Or, Even still it's, yeah. you know, it, it's much more efficient if you can leverage some of those programs like, um, there's a big red bank that has a great one called business for self plus, and they'll do exactly that. They'll look at your retained, sorry, they'll look at your net income after taxes and they'll add a large portion of that to your personally claimed income. So cool. And they'll allow um, rental properties and holding companies. Well, Craig, I, this, this is great. I really appreciate your insights. It's uh, yeah, it's a treat to talk to a real estate investor who's become a mortgage broker because you really, you get it uh, from from the perspective that we're looking at here. So that's fantastic. If people want to find out more and connect with you. What should they do? Um, yeah, you can find me at uh, my website is Craig or VandolderMortgages.com. My email is just Craig at VandolderMortgages.com or call me on my cell, which is 519-372-8524. And like I said earlier, I am licensed in both um, Ontario and BC but I'm actually able to write mortgage business across the country because the brokerage that I'm with, which is Mortgage Architects, part of Dominion Lending Centers, they operate Canada-wide and we're able to write business in, in every single province without even being licensed there, which is a pretty pretty nice thing because when I'm dealing with investor clients, I've got clients buying in Alberta that, that I'm able to assist them with. That's awesome. Fantastic, yeah. Well, Craig, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. It's been yeah. uh, great chatting with you and getting to know you a little bit. Thanks very much, Dave. I appreciate you having me on. My pleasure. All right, everybody, take care, and we'll talk to you on the next episode. This episode is brought to you by MoneyPartnerFormula.com. Our Money Partner Formula service allows you to raise all the private capital you need to do all the deals you want while we handle the hard stuff. We offer reliable and affordable done-for-you marketing services that get you investor meetings booked without all the work. So go ahead and check out the website right now. And then feel free to schedule a call with me and let's take your portfolio to the next level. Again, that's moneypartnerformula.com. Watch investor meetings pop up in your calendar. We handle the rest.